Everybody will be remembered for something. Some good, some bad, some a mixture of both. I want to say a few names and just get your first response. First thought, what do you remember these historical characters for? Just one or two word answers. When you think about George Washington, what pops into your mind? First president. Yeah. Yeah, generally good things. Okay, uh, Michael Jordan. Basketball, right? Got really good at putting a leather ball through a metal ring, right? And we loved him for it. Still do. Bill Gates. Super duper rich, super wealthy, Microsoft. You know, what's amazing is following his life and now how he is focused on giving so much away. Perhaps in later years after he's gone, he'll be remembered for his philanthropy even more. Okay, what about, this is one for those of you that know your history, John Wilkes Booth. That's right. They're teaching you well at CVCA. <laughs> yeah, and wherever you go to school. Modesto Christian, yes. He's the guy that killed Abraham Lincoln. Um, he'll be always remembered for that act. What about some Bible characters? Judas. I didn't tell you which Judas I was talking about because they're different. No. Okay, um, what about Eve? Yeah, depending on what you want to emphasize, first woman or, you know. Okay, uh, what about Goliath? Evil, giant. Overtaking, yeah. Big guy, right? Abraham. Father Abraham. Sorry, what'd you say? Oh, oh okay. Wrong, wrong, wrong Abraham there, huh? Okay, Samson. Samson. Strong, but he was also weak. Everybody's remembered for something. A character today, his name is Jehoram. Uh, there's actually two Jehorams. We're talking about the son of Jehoshaphat, not the son of Ahab. Would have been nice if they just used last names, right? There's a couple of kings that have a, share the same name. We're talking about Jehoram, and his name literally means Yahweh is exalted. The Lord is exalted. What do you guess is going to happen in his life? Sorry. Uh, last week was a happy story. This one uh, will not be. And he'll be remembered for things. You are going to be remembered for things in your life. We're going to study his life, and his life is summarized in 2 Chronicles chapter 21. You can start turning there. And there are only 20 verses about him. Just 20 verses to summarize 40 years of life. 
If your life was summarized in 20 verses, 30, 40 sentences, what would it say about you? What would you hope was included in those 20 verses about your life? Okay, good baseball player. That'd be fun to have said about you. You know, I'm going to say this more, but I'm going to say it from the very beginning. What you want to have said about you in the future can be determined by what you do in the present. You write, in a sense, your story now by the choices you make. Right, Mary? That's right. You write your story now. So what kind of story are you writing? 2 Chronicles chapter 21 we open up in verse 1. And Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers. He wasn't taking a nap. He died. And was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Jehoram his son reigned in his place. In fact, as you study the, the chronology and look at the story in Kings, it appears as though for the last two years of Jehoshaphat's reign, Jehoram was actually reigning alongside of him. They called it a co-regency. So he's there reigning for two years with his father. His father dies. He becomes the sole ruler of the kingdom. And he had some brothers, verse 2 tells us. How many brothers do you count there? Six brothers. Yeah. Jehoshaphat had seven sons, but Jehoram was the oldest, and so he was given the kingdom. Verse 3 tells us that the other sons were given things too, their father gave them great gifts of silver and gold and precious things, along with fortified cities. So they, they made off pretty good for not being king. But he gave the kingdom to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. Oldest, had the most privilege, he got to be king. Then we get to verse 4. When Jehoram was established over the kingdom of his father, in other words, when things had settled down and it's going good and he's in control... And we've said again and again, when things are good, watch out, right? Spiritually, we have to be extra on guard when things are going well. But when things were going good, he strengthened himself, and what did he do to his brothers? Killed them all with the sword, and also others of the princes of Israel. Apparently, there were other people that he was worried about, possibly challenging his authority, and so he said, I don't want anybody to challenge me. I'm the only king, the rightful heir to the throne. Sorry, bro. And he killed them all. Yeah, yikes is right. I don't know about you guys, but I, I fought with my sister. We had issues. But I never wanted to kill her. Maybe hurt her a little bit for... But not in a lasting way. Maturity and, and the Lord and, and distance have brought us together, though. You'll, you'll get that later <laughs> when you're older. But here, Jehoram is thinking only about himself. I'm going to be king. I want my, my reign to last a long time. So I'm going to do away with anybody who could challenge me. Put to death his brothers. Verse 5, Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned for how many years? 
eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked, we read this verse last week, in the ways of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done, because, why? Because he married the daughter of Ahab. He took her for a wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. What's influencing you? Who's influencing you? His father's bad decision um, influenced him. And obviously he had a choice in the matter also. Your friends at school, students, your friends in our community, what kind of influence are they in your life? What influence are you on your friends? Goes both ways. Jehoram's wife influenced him. He adopted her gods and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. But in spite of that, God was merciful. Look at verse 7. Yet the Lord would not destroy the house of David. Jehoram was a descendant of David. Because he had made a covenant with David, since he had promised to give him a lamp to him and to his sons forever. Even in spite of our unfaithfulness, God is still faithful. In spite of our lack of goodness, God is still trying to be good to us, to keep his promises, even when we have broken ours to him. And you recall from a study of the scriptures that later on, who's going to be born through the lineage of David? Christ, ultimately. And we'll see multiple times where everybody's killed except for one person. The lineage of of David will continue. God was keeping his promise to David. You got to think that God was also preserving the line that Christ was going to come through. In, in spite of the fact that the devil was trying to destroy it, God was preserving it so that Jesus could come and be born. And then we get to verse 8. He's wiped out all of his brothers. He feels like this is a, a good business decision to give him longevity as a king. Get to verse 8 because things start to crumble a little bit. In his days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority. Edom. Again, we talked last time about this is, these are cousins, distant cousins of the children of Israel. Take a look at where Edom is. If you can look here at the map, this is the Dead Sea. Um, so just south of the Dead Sea, is Edom. We got to go to the Dead Sea, and I see some of my Israel buddies here. Good to see the Hudgens family here today. Got to float in the Dead Sea. Edom is south of there, and quite honestly, I wouldn't want to live in Edom, right? Having seen how dry it is and how desolate it is. But Edom extended right down here. I mentioned last time the Gulf of Aqaba. This segment here is the Gulf of Aqaba. Um, so it extended all the way down here. Uh, this is where Solomon, we talked about those ships that, that he built, and then Jehoshaphat was trying to do a deal for some ships. That's where they were built, right there in that location. Edom, later on, would, would be the area where Petra would be build, built. So you remember seeing pictures of those um, amazing structures carved out of the rock, uh, Really, really awesome location there. Uh, that's Edom. That wasn't built in the time of this story, but it would come later on. 
but you can kind of get a picture for what Edom looked like a little bit from what we see here. So Edom at this time was underneath the control of Judah. They were paying taxes to Judah, uh, enriching the pockets of Jehoram. They were subject. He had appointed leadership to lead out over them. But finally, they said, enough's enough. We're going to be our own country, our own nation again. And they revolted. They made a king over themselves. But Jehoram didn't like that, naturally. So, verse 9, he went out with his officers and all his chariots after, with him. He went out to try and beat them back into submission. Nuh-uh, you're not going to rise up. We're going to keep you underneath our thumb. So he goes out to war. But notice what the Bible says. We didn't give a lot of details, but we get just enough to know that it didn't go very well. He went out with the chariots with him, and he rose by what time of day? By night, and attacked the Edomites, okay, who had done what to him? Surrounded him and the captain of the chariots. So here he goes out to try and smack them down and get them back into what he thought was their rightful place, and he finds himself trapped by their armies. And it's good enough for him just to get, get out and escape with his life at nighttime. They wake up. We've got to get out of here. We're going to die. And they fight their way through this ring of Edomites, and they make their way back to safety. Verse 10 concludes, Thus Edom has been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day. So the time of the writing of this book, years and years later, they still were revolting. They still were no longer under the control and authority of Judah. Jehoram killed his brothers to try and make his kingdom more secure. But instead, we see it starting to fall apart, little piece by little piece. Not just Edom, but also at that time, the Bible says in verse 10, Libna revolted against his rule. Libna. You probably haven't heard too much about Libna. Let me show you a picture of what archaeologists think is what's left over from Libna. Um, this is kind of close to Philistine territory. This was a town, a region. Libna was underneath the control of Jehoram, and they said, uh-uh, we're not paying taxes to you anymore. We don't want your leadership anymore. We're going to do our own thing. And what's the reason that Libna revolted? Verse 10 says, because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. He tried to establish himself and make him more powerful by ignoring God's rules and ignoring common decency, and it backfired. He starts losing parts of his kingdom left and right. He wasn't able to keep the nations under subjection. In our own lives, maybe, maybe we're not kings and queens over countries. I don't know about you, but I'm not. <laughs> if you are, please let me know. You could be helpful. So we don't have kingdoms, but we have families. We have our own lives to try and govern. And if we're trying to keep our family in order and in line, and our life in order and in line, but we're trying to do it apart from God, it's going to fail. If we're trying to keep our sin under control in our own power, it's impossible. Trying to lead our family, but we're not leading in the way of God, 
things are going to get worse. Got to take a page from the lesson of Jehoram, and we have to put God first in our heart, first in our family, first in our church and our schools, our workplace. Jehoram didn't realize this lesson, and so he started losing control of some of these things. And he he takes it a step further in his revolt against God. Verse 11, moreover, he made high places. He's not just permitting these false positions of worship. He's creating them. He's building them. Hey, I made a cool spot to worship Baal up on that hill. Join me. Let's go enjoy that together. It's not the right kind of leadership that the, the people needed. He caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit harlotry and led Judah astray. He led them down the wrong path. And so a very interesting thing happens in verse 12. He gets a letter. Not just any letter from any old person. Who does he get a letter from? From Elijah. Now some people, they look at that and they say, that's impossible. This must be referring to Elisha or somebody uh, writing under the name of Elijah because they believe that Elijah was dead at this point. Uh, but I think if you dig in, into it deeply, you'll see that Elijah was still very likely alive at this point. Uh, what trips people up is sometimes there are stories in the Bible that aren't necessarily put in chronological order relative to one another. So in 2 Kings chapter 2, it describes Elijah going up to heaven, and then later on, it, there are some other stories that make people feel like Elijah was already gone. But the, the authors of the Bible weren't as focused on giving us all the events in the exact order that, that they occurred all the time. They, were, they had other goals in mind. Uh, and sometimes, like in the case of the book of Jeremiah, it got thrown into the fire and burnt up, so they had to rewrite it and, and put it back together again as best as they could. And God was watching over the process. But when you look at the chronology and you put all the pieces together, Elijah was still, from my understanding, very much alive and not having ascended to heaven yet. Although if God wanted to, he could write a letter from heaven uh, and send it down, right? So let's look at the letter. He got a letter from the prophet. Elijah focused mostly on the northern kingdom, but now he's sending one to the southern kingdom. Thus says the Lord, God of your father, David, because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat, your father, or in the ways of Asa, king of Judah, because you haven't done right like these kings did for the majority of their lives, but because you walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made the habits of Jerusalem and Judah to play harlot like the harlotry of the house of Ahab and also killed your brothers, those of your father's household who were better than yourself. <laughs> Puts a little jab in there. By the way, they're better people than you are and you killed them. Behold, because of those things, what's going to happen? The Lord will strike your people with a serious affliction. Some Bibles say plague. Uh, the Hebrew word there can refer to a plague, but it can also refer to calamity. So it could be just defeat in war. It's going to affect your children, your wives, and all your possessions. You'll become very sick and with a disease of your intestines until your intestines come out by reason of the sickness day by day. Ooh. So let's just recap the letter. He said, because of all the bad things you've done, which, by the way, he did trying to make himself more secure as a leader, 
you're actually going to have the opposite effect happen. You hurt your brothers, you killed your brothers, well, your family is going to be hurt. I won't be able to protect your family from what's happening. You're trying to make your life secure, your reign secure, well, you're going to have some bad bowel issues, and they're going to kill you. Now, even in this letter, I believe there was an opportunity for Jehoram to repent. We've seen this in many other places in the Bible. Like Jonah going to the Ninevites, saying, your city is going to be destroyed by fire. And then they repented, and God allowed them to continue to survive. I believe this could have been an invitation for him to repent and to turn away from his sin. But did he do that? He didn't. Verse 16, Moreover, the Lord stirred up against Jehoram a spirit, the spirit of the Philistines and the Arabians who were near the Ethiopians. They came up into Judah and invaded it. And they carried away all the possessions that were found in the king's house and also his sons and his wives. So that there was not a son left to him except Jehoahaz, the youngest of his sons. God preserving the line of David. Killed all his brothers trying to make his kingdom secure. Now he's losing all of his family because he wasn't faithful to God. And after all this, verse 18, the Lord struck him in his intestines with an incurable disease. So it happened in the course of time at the end of two years that his intestines came out because of his sickness. So he died in severe pain. Does this sound pleasant? No. And I've looked up and I've tried to figure out exactly what kind of illness this was. Um, ancient Jewish writings say that it, it may have had something to do uh, with severe constipation and inflammation of the bowels. Um, I don't know, and, and I don't want to dwell too much on this. But this is an awful thing that could have been totally prevented. But what's the, the biggest tragedy of this story, or, or one of the great tragedies, is what it says next. The king dies an awful death, but notice what it says, and it says, and the people made no burning for him like the burnings of his fathers. They didn't honor his death the way they did his, his fathers because they didn't have respect for him as king. He was 32 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. And here's the key phrase, to no one's sorrow. Of the translations, to nobody's regret, he departed. However, they buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. Here's a guy who serves as king for eight years, and when he's gone, people say, good riddance. Yeah, totally. He just suffered for two years. He died, and people say, hallelujah. We didn't like him anyways. And it's interesting, uh, commentator Morgan, um, last name Morgan, comments on the people and their response to the king, because they followed him into idolatry. But they, he says this, Strange indeed is the human heart. It turns to evil and it pursues it persistently. And yet it never really loves those who lead it in the way of evil. 
Love is only inspired by goodness. Men will follow those who lead them in the ways of corruption, but such following is always inspired by evil selfishness and never by admiration or love. In other words, they, they gladly followed the king into idol worship, but when the king died, they didn't feel bad for him, and they didn't feel sorry. He was the king who wasn't missed after he was gone. Sad story. Sad consequences. But again, a life that could have been different by different choices. How many of you are alive this afternoon? Are you alive? Let me hear you say it. Are you alive? If you're alive, that means you can choose what your story will be today. Amen? Amen. You get to choose what your future will be. You get to choose how you'll treat your family members today and tomorrow. How you'll treat your coworkers. How you'll treat your neighbors. You get to choose what you invest your life in the rest of your life, whether young or old. We get to write our story today. When I was young, I played a game called the Oregon Trail. Anyone ever heard of that? Computer game? Yeah. Good West Coast game. <laughs> Got to get your covered wagon on the computer screen and your oxen and all the things that you need. You got to make it out west to Oregon. As my sister said, who lived in Kansas for a while and, and Illinois, she said, there's a reason the wagon trains kept moving west. Moving west. But I remember in the sad event that one of your characters died in the Oregon Trail game, you would have a little grave sign that would pop up and you could type what you wanted it to say on the tombstone. Right? You just had to make it. To win the game, you just had to make it. Uh, everybody in your family could die, but if you made it or somebody made it, you'd be all right. But I remember my sister put... She did what she could. And I thought that was good. So when I would play the game and there would be uh, sad tragedies, I would write, he did what he could. In a sense, we have an opportunity right now to determine what will be written on our tombstone. Should we pass away before the Lord returns? What do you want it to say? What do you want people in 20 verses to say about your life? in summary of your life. Sure, we've all made mistakes. But will your life record say they repented through the power of Jesus and they made better choices? They spent their time creating high places, but then they tore them down and served the Lord with the rest of their days. They weren't a perfect person, but they had a perfect Savior. And they chose to start loving people. They brought me to the Lord, and I know Jesus because of them. What do you want to be said about you? We get to choose. You get to choose today and each day. As Joshua said to the people, but as for me and my household, 
Lord, we want to serve the Lord. Is that your desire? Are there people in this community that God wants to reach through you? Just do it. Do it. Let's stop wasting time. Let's do it. Let's get it done. Let's spread the good news. And let's go home to heaven. Loving Heavenly Father, we've all made mistakes. There are chapters in our life's history that we don't like to think about. But Jesus, thank you that your blood covers those chapters and our record is spotless in your eyes because of Jesus and what you've done. So we remind ourselves of that today and we remind ourselves today that we want to choose you and we want to make a difference in this world, in our communities. We want people to be in heaven because of what you've done through us and in us. So give us opportunities this day and this week to make a difference for you. We're looking forward to seeing you soon. In Jesus' name, let everybody say, Amen. 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 Man, God bless you. Have a happy Sabbath. <laughs>